So Thanksgiving is over. Refrigerators maybe still have a few leftovers, depending. Potatoes and sweet potatoes and pumpkin pies and all that stuff. And you know, um, I remember as a kid, Thanksgiving was over and immediately was shifted to Christmas. So mom and dad had, had Friday off. They worked nine to five jobs or whatever time they got up and got off. But, but Friday they always had off. And so that was the day of putting the Christmas tree up. That was the day of, uh, we didn't put many lights on the house, but that was the day that we got ready for the holidays. And you know what else would always happen on Good Friday? Or the Friday, I say Good Friday, that's the wrong terminology. Black Friday, the Friday after Thanksgiving. It was good for this reason, because TNT always started running a Christmas story. You know what I'm saying? Like the greatest Christmas movie that's ever been made. And you know the movie I'm talking about because I want to use this as an illustration. I like to use this movie as an illustration. But remember the story. It was about Ralphie who all he wanted was a Red Ryder BB gun with a compass in the stock and this little thing that's told time or something like that. I mean, something along those lines. And he's asking for it and everybody says he's going to shoot his eye out. And remember that at the end of that movie, it's Christmas morning and it's, it's snowing outside and the kids all run down and they're looking at the presents. We may have all been in this moment at one point in our life. You run to the tree and there's that one thing and you know what that box is going to look like. You know whether it's under the tree or not because of the boxes that are under the tree. And Ralphie runs down and he looks under the tree and he's moving the packages. His little brother, he's getting upset with him. He's looking for that one box that would be just the perfect size for that Red Ryder BB gun. With the compass and the stock and this little thing that tells time. And you see the disappointment on his face when the box that he's looking for isn't there. This morning, as, as we prepare for Christmas, I, I want to look at this same reality that oftentimes we as children of God have when it comes to Him. So often we're looking for this box that we've created for God to be in. And then when we don't see this box, we become disappointed because we're not getting what we thought we were getting for Christmas. Oftentimes, we, 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 we want to understand God, but we've developed our own limitations on who God is. That when we don't see the box that we're expecting, we allow ourselves, this is the spiritual journey of us, to be affected by what we're seeing or not seeing. By the expectation that we've created not being fulfilled. I want to share a story from the Old Testament about, about one of the prophets of God who we see living in this very reality. Before I get to that story, I better pray. God, we thank you this morning for this time. We thank you, God, for your presence, that you inhabit the praises of your people and that you are here with us. 
God, I thank you that you desire to speak to us this day. And I pray for us. I pray for our minds. I pray for our thoughts. I pray for our attitudes, that they would be in line with you, God, for our ears, that we could hear and know what you're speaking to us. God, as a pastor, I pray for myself that that every bit of Steve would be taken out of this message and your anointing would flow through me. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The prophet I want to look at today is the prophet Elijah. In your Bible, you go to 1 Kings Oh, about 17 is is where we start to hear about Elijah. Elijah, his name literally means Jehovah is Lord. That's what Elijah means if you look at the translation. But God does some really cool things in in Elijah's life. We meet him and he prays and there's a drought. Do you know how long the drought lasted when Elijah prayed? Three years. Powerful prayer. Watching God do some things. In the midst of that, he's in the wilderness and ravens, he's hungry, so the ravens come and feed him. Then he meets this widow and, and she, she gives him some bread and, and he comes into her house and she's worried about her, her, her goods running out and he prays and what happens? She's got this jar of oil. It's not the one I preached on before. It's a different one with Elijah, not Elisha. She's got this jar of oil and this jar of flour, and they just keep producing for the three years of the famine, just enough. Her son dies. She prays. He's healed. God's done some really cool things. Then Mount Carmel. Remember Mount Carmel? We've heard this. The prophets. There's 450 prophets of Baal, and there's Elijah. 450 verses 1. And if you read 1 Kings 18, all I can say is you've got a cocky young prophet in 1 Kings 18. I mean, he's up there taunting the 450. Read it. If your God's so good, then... (laughs) Oh, maybe you should pray louder, or maybe you should pray harder, or maybe... I mean, just a cocky young man, and he prays, and then he gets up to his sacrifice. We're going to call fire down from heaven for our sacrifices. He says, pour some water on it, so they pour a bunch of water on it. No, pour more water on it, pour more water on it. I mean, there's water everywhere. Praise and fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice. The 450 prophets of Baal, they're arrested or they're, they're taken captive by the people and they're killed. I mean, dude's got everything going on. First Kings chapter 19. This is right after he comes off. Verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. One of them was talking about the prophets of Baal. You're going to be dead, is what she's saying. Jezebel is off uh, threatening. She sends a messenger to say, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. Now, verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Did you just read the end of 1 Kings chapter 18? What changed from Mount Carmel to the broom bush? 
450 prophets of Baal versus Jezebel and her messenger. What changed from, from that cocky young prophet, I'm saying young, I don't know how old he was, to now the broom bush where he's praying what? Just let me die, God. All I can see that has changed from 1 Kings chapter 18 to 1 Kings chapter 19 is that the box that Elijah had put God inside changed. Elijah must have come off the mountain thinking everything was going to be different. The 450 prophets of Baal were, were dead, so now Israel will, will all repent. They'll all turn to the one true God, Yahweh. They'll all serve Him. Everything will be great. I did my job. I can write off in the sunset as the one who changed everything. And what happened was the reality was Israel didn't change. Jezebel wanted to kill him, and now he just said, forget it, God. You must not have been anything. Just let me die. Esther Steve's adding a little bit to this story. I get it. But when I read these things, I wonder what changed. All I can figure out is that Elijah was looking for God to respond in a certain way. And that way wasn't a queen or Jezebel coming and saying she was going to have him killed. Elijah was called to be a prophet, to speak truth. He watched God do incredible things. He saw the drought. He saw the rain come. He watched that jar pour out over and over and over again. He, he witnessed the ravens bringing him food. He watched God bring fire from heaven. And now the box. What I was expecting under the tree. Just take me home. I want to read this because I don't want to forget it. God in a box. When we allow our expectations or even our understanding to define God. God is infinite. I am finite. It's impossible to fool into all his ways. And at times we miss what God is doing because we're watching for what we expect rather than watching for what God is doing. What I'm saying is my mind is limited, but my God is unlimited. And at times my limited mind tries to tell me how to perceive and understand what God is doing. And God is saying, I am not limited, but I am unlimited. He's the omni-God, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, all those things. God is, God is not limited, but the greatest limitation on God is my mind. My experience, my understanding. And so times we miss what God is doing. We allow ourselves to be discouraged by what God is doing because the box in which we've designed isn't being fulfilled. And so we go sit underneath the broom bush and pout. I think God was preparing us for this very thing through Jesus Christ. You want to talk about some box that we weren't expecting underneath the Christmas tree? 
Why don't you pick a young woman who's not even married to have the Savior of the world? Why don't you pick one that's from the wrong family in the world's eyes? She's not the richest. She's not the wealthiest. Joseph's not the greatest either. He works with his hands. How about we have him travel to, 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 to Bethlehem for the census? And then while they're on their way, let's just have the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the one in which we're all waiting for, come and, and be born and placed in a feeding trough. And then we'll get distinguished first visitors. We'll get some ranchers to come say hi. Literally in that culture, shepherds were not exactly on the top tier of the social structure. They were the stinky outcasts that spent all their time with sheep and smelled like it. The entire story of Jesus, his, his whole ministry, what do we see? Time and time and time again. He doesn't fit the box. The Pharisees, what did they do? They followed him around questioning him because he didn't fit the box. They struggled with receiving him. They, they, they put stumbling blocks in front of him continually, time and time again, to the point he called them whitewashed tombs. Because he didn't fit the box. So what? I got ahead of myself. I do that sometimes. I didn't fit the box. I want to read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here's the problem. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there's tongues, they'll be still. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part... And we prophesy in part. That's this limited mind that we have. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Some of us say I still do. When I became a man, I put away, put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I, shall now, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You and I are currently living in a position where we simply know in part. I'm not trying to question your understanding of God this morning. I'm not trying to say you don't know God or you don't know enough. But the reality is you and I, we're living in the temporary. We're living in the temporal. We're living in the finite part. We know in part. Knowing that I know in part helps me know the unlimited God even better. I'm going to say that again because it sounded weird. Knowing that what I know is in part prepares me to understand the unlimited God so much better. I talked about the life of Christ. I talked about the Christmas story, how, how this is and how it was supposed to look. I talked about the ministry of Christ. I mean, look at who he picked. He picked a bunch of fishermen. No, Walt, not of course. <laughs> Talk about stinking. None of this story made sense. I want to take you to Easter for a moment to talk about Christmas. It said in verse Matthew chapter 27, 
When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. I read this sometimes, and I know the spiritual application. We'll talk about Hebrews in just a second. But what if when God ripped that curtain in two, it was like your child on Christmas morning ripping that box that was everything in Christ, everything about his life was not defined by the box. Everything that he lived and everything that people witnessed and experienced, even the disciples rode to Emmaus, what they do? They were confused. We had hope. We don't know what happened. The box that we had created didn't get fulfilled. And the curtain was ripped in two. And I believe for me this day, it's my reminder that the box has to be ripped Open that my understanding, my limitations that I'm placing on the unlimited God must be torn in two that I can fully see all that he plans for my life. I mentioned Hebrews, I'll read it. Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly. How? Unswervingly. That's like when when things don't match up. That means that when, when the box doesn't look like I thought it was going to look, I'm holding unswervingly to the hope that I profess For he who promised is faithful. What do I know? God is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. God in a box. I think God understood. I think the life of Christ is revealing that that we would struggle with the reality. We all want to know exactly what God is doing, when God is doing it, and how God is doing it. We all want to be able to point to that and say that gives from God and that gives from from man. I mean, we we want to be able to do that. We all want to be able to say God is this, God is that, he's coming here, he's going there. I mean, that's what our desire is. When I was a kid, they say kid, I just started college, Cambry. I was a kid. And I went on what I called a pursuit of wisdom. And I tried to figure out what wisdom was, and I read Proverbs over and over again. And when I realized what wisdom was, it was realizing how little I did know. That really was what I came to. That was my that was my end of like a six-month pursuit of wisdom. The end of that pursuit was realizing that I don't know as much as I thought I knew. Because we just want that pretty box. Elijah, let's go back to that story. In verse 5, it says, After this, he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. I want to pause right there before I move forward. This is a separate point. But you talk about God in the box. Elijah just complained and said, God, why don't you take me home? 
And God said, I'm not finished with you. And so God sent some messengers to Elijah in the midst of that moment. He sent some angels. And not only did they make him something good, they didn't bring ravens to bring him whatever that they could gather this time. They baked some bread for him over hot coals. They gave him a jar of water. I want to say sometimes we limit the unlimited God. And God sends people in our life who prepare us for what God wants to do. He sends his angels not once, but twice. In the midst of Elijah's sorrow, in the midst of Elijah's pity, he sent his messengers. He's very best to prepare him, to encourage him. Some will say, God just must disqualify me when I do that. I failed miserably. I screwed up. I missed him. I don't see what you're doing, God. Just take me home. And God said, no, I'm not finished. And God sent his angels and they baked bread and they gave him water so he would have strength for the journey that was coming. Man, that's powerful. That's powerful. Verse 8, so he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled. That's a lot of bread. Come on, he didn't make him just a little, tiny little personal sized loaf of bread. So strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Oreb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came into him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Now, he's not saying kill me now. (laughs) we got some improvement on Elijah right now. (laughs) I'm just telling you where I'm at. I'm here in a cave at the Mount Horeb where the presence of God is waiting for you to show up because... Israel has rejected your covenant. Not only have they rejected it, they've killed everyone who speaks the truth, except for me. The Lord God said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. I'm going to read that again. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. What is going on? God just talked to me. I want the present. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out, stood at the mouth of the cave, and the voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? That voice then tells him to go talk to a king, and Elijah obeys. God in a box. I believe at times we struggle with limiting the unlimited God. And I think that God gave me a pattern to follow. When it comes to my understanding 
of who he is. What did God tell Elijah to do? The first thing he had to do was listen to the voice of God. And you say, this is weird. He had to listen. God said, what? Go stand in the presence of the Lord at the mouth of the cave. God tells him to go do that. We have to listen to what God's saying because when we listen, we can then position. Too many times we hear God say to us, go do this. I mean, it's, it's plain as day. Go stand out on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. God says something and we don't do what he says. Which mountain are you talking about, God? Where do you want me to stand? Do we stand on that rock or that rock? Won't you tell me when I should stand there? Won't you tell me how I should stand? Should I stand with my feet together or my feet apart? Should I be looking up? Should I be looking down? He listened to what God said. And as he listened to what God said, he began to position himself for what God was about to do. Go stand on a mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. So Elijah did something incredible. He stood on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord was about to to pass by. Something we have to do is position ourselves where God desires us to be. And then, when we've listened and position, we get to discover what God is doing. I love this portion of Scripture because anyone's going to tell me that that when Elijah felt this incredible wind, how strong was that wind? It broke the rocks and the mountains apart, okay? Who's going to say God's in the wind? That's a good box. (laughs) I can see that. God must be where I can see, so I'm just going to stand here in the wind. And Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament, so he wasn't like me and Jim. He had really long flowing hair, and he could just stand there in the wind and let God blow that wind on his face and just be rejuvenated. God wasn't in the wind. Oh, but wait. It's not what I see, but what do I feel right now? The rocks are shaking. God must be here. This is a good box. I know it. He's he making a rock shake right now. God, you here? I said, God wasn't in the earthquake. Oh, there's a fire. I remember what God did that one time with Moses. He had that burning bush and then the Israelites they followed God. He must be in the fire. It's what I know. It's not about what I hear or what I see, what I feel or what I know. But then there was this whisper. And in the whisper, God spoke. Too many times we're chasing the wind. We're running after the earthquakes. We're seeking the fire. Now, I'm not saying God won't speak through wind, and I'm not saying God won't speak through fire or earthquakes. God will. 
But I'm telling you, in that moment, Elijah had to listen to God. He had to position himself in the place where God wanted him to be. And he had to discover for himself where God was in that moment. your box. The gospel according to the Christmas story. How's that story end? Ralphie may not have seen that box, but his dad knew what he needed. He said, hey, what's that over there, Ralphie? I know the desire of your heart. And you may be disappointed right now, but what is that? And his wife looks at him and she says, where did that come from? Must have been Santa. Go open that box. Ralphie could have been dejected. I mean, he got that pink nightmare. If I got those pajamas, I'm pouting. Mom made me come down in those pajamas. I'm not showing my face ever again. We are done with Christmas. We're never talking about it again. I'm Elijah praying under the broom bush. God, just take me home so I can die. But not in these pajamas. But his dad. His dad loved him. You guys can come forward. I want to tell you, your, your father loves you. I want to tell you, your Father has something for you. I don't know what situations or what circumstances. I don't know what disappointments or, or, or dejections some of you may be feeling. But what I know is that sometimes in the midst of those moments when the box isn't right, we become discouraged and we begin to separate ourselves from God. This morning, I want you to listen to his voice. It may be something that pastor said in this room today. And as you listen to your boy, to his voice, position yourself in the presence or in the place where God desires you to be. That might be in the Bible. That might be with a friend. That might be in a time of prayer, but position yourself because the presence of the Lord is there. And then discover. Don't be limited by by what you see. Don't be limited by what you feel. Don't be limited by what you know, but discover what God is doing right now. You see, God's living and active. He's alive. He may do something new. He says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. That's in the book of Isaiah. But God's not in whispers. God's only in the fire. Well, you're going to run to the fire and get burned, and God doesn't want you to be burned. Heavenly Father, we come to you this day. And God, in this place... You know our minds. You know our limitations. You know those things, God, that we've created, that you must fit in. 
But God, this day I'm reminded that the veil was torn. I'm reminded, God, that you ripped that veil so that we could know you more and more and more. That box that was the old law was destroyed. But God, I've got new laws. New limitations. New expectations. New understandings that have time, God, they've, they've limited what you're doing in my life. And God, I pray that just as when Jesus Christ was crucified, that the box, that the veil could be torn in our lives. That we might know, God, that we might hear, that we might position, that we might discover what you need us to know for me today. Because my Father knows what I need. The one who created me in my mother's womb, you know what I need. You know where I need to be. You know what I need to understand. How I need to hear. Help me, God. Be unlimited. This morning as they lead us in this chorus, I I just want to open the altars. I want to encourage you to spend a, a moment thinking or being honest with yourself. Maybe the Holy Spirit has illuminated in your life. Yeah, this is right where you're at. These are places where you started to disqualify me even though I'm not disqualified. Maybe you need some messengers that will come and just bake you a loaf of bread this morning that says, hey, it's okay where you've been. Your Father still loves you. Maybe you need some messengers that will give you the provision that you need for that journey that's ahead so you can stand in the presence of God and you can hear His voice in the whisper. Maybe He needs to minister to you in these next few moments. I don't know what God has for you this day, but I encourage you to think about your boxes and let God be God. If you say, Pastor, I'm just here. I, I know I've got God in lots of boxes and I don't know what to do. I want to pray with you. I want you to find someone in church that you trust and pray with them. Some of you may say, I've never opened that box that is Jesus Christ. I don't even know what you're talking about. Sounds good, but, but I've never experienced that. I want to spend a moment with you so you can experience the love of Jesus Christ. So you can understand His plan and purpose for your life. Maybe someone else says, I just need to be here so I can feel Him. So I can hear Him. So I can discover what He's saying for me. Let God be God. I was sitting here thinking, Pastor, that was a dangerous sermon to preach. I should have thought of that before I preached it. Telling people God's not in a box and we're all about creating boxes to keep people where they need to be. But God reminded me that when He tore the curtain, He placed His Spirit inside of us. 
There's nothing to be afraid of because we got the Spirit of God inside of us that helps us to know those limitations. That, that's why this unlimited understanding of God is so powerful. He's given us the Spirit of God that can say, eh, 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 oh, 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 that's you, that's not me. And he said, hey, look this way, get that way. So open the box. Discover what God has for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. And may you truly love and know the unlimited God. Amen? Be blessed.